Welcome to Built to Scale e-commerce show with Darius and Justin. We are the founders of Ad Kings Agency, an industry-leading boutique e-commerce, Facebook ads, and omni-channel funnels growth agency. Our insights and expertise have helped to generate over $45 million in revenue and spent over $18 million on paid acquisition for our clients in the last year alone. In this podcast, we open up about the marketing and business development strategies and tactics we use to get these results. All right. So welcome to the Built to Scale e-commerce show with me. And today yeah. I'm interviewing a very interesting individual that I've been following for some time on, on LinkedIn or other platforms as well, entrepreneur and investor. And as I have found, I guess, what he's focusing on right now, and he presents himself as an e-commerce email marketing nerd, Chase Diamond. Welcome. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me. How are you? I'm doing right. And um, a little bit more information about you that I've found so everyone would be on the same page and we can just uh, continue later. You can you know, introduce yourself as well. But uh, from the information that I've found on your, on your LinkedIn, how you like to present yourself is like, now as I understand you're building Boundless Labs company, a top e-commerce email marketing agency. An interesting fact as well that I found was that uh, your team have sent over a billion emails resulting in over $75 million in, in revenue for your clients, if, if that's correct. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. We've been doing this for a couple of years and we get to work with some really big and fun and, and even small brands. Definitely we'll have, a, I guess, an interesting discussion. And um, today we'll be covering uh, several topics. We have a bunch of different questions, but uh, I guess the main takeaways that uh, everyone will be Hopefully we'll get at the end of the, our conversation. We'll be talking about the biggest challenges and opportunities in email marketing. The biggest priorities that business should focus on to reach that of like 20 to 40% coming from emails kind of a, as a threshold as everyone is are fantasizing and, and dreaming about. I think it's a very interesting topic that not a lot of people are considering and discussing enough is actually in-house e- email team versus that agency. And um, activities that usually bring the biggest amount of revenues from the email marketing um, in, in general, because there's a, definitely a number of things that could be done, but uh, we have the expert today, so we'll, we'll see what he'll tell us. So Chase, tell us a little bit more about, about yourself, a little bit of a background, so we know a little bit more than what you've been doing recently, but uh, any other information that would be relevant for, for listeners. Thanks for, for having me. I'm excited to, to dive in. We've got a jam-packed episode, it sounds like. So kind of giving you the high level, but giving the short story. At 13 years old, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. For those that are unfamiliar, Crohn's is basically inflammation of your digestive tract. I was sick for an entire year due to lack of awareness of this disease. So at 14 years old, I dedicated my life to raising fundraising and awareness for this. And that's where I taught myself and learned guerrilla marketing. So I was taking ads out in the paper. I was calling friends' houses. I was sending friends' parents' emails and messages online. You know, I was doing these walks and all these different types of things and was able to raise tens of thousands of dollars through some of these efforts where you know, I wasn't really spending any money to advertise other than a few times of taking ads out in the paper. And that's really kind of how I got into marketing was through necessity. I myself was faced with this disease. It was kind of scary. And the reason I was sick for so long is because no one knew about it. So I wanted to change that. I wanted to change that in my local community. And I wanted to change that 
you know, in my country of how do we allow people to know more, more about this. So my venture into marketing kind of came, I guess, organically and through that. And then in college, I, you know, I played college soccer. I was in a fraternity, but I had to work six, eight, 10 different jobs and internships throughout because I had to help my parents pay for my tuition. Like my parents couldn't afford to pay me there. You know, we didn't want to take out loans. So I just hustled throughout college. And in college, I found my love of marketing. So I was doing a bunch of marketing internships, you know, this, that, and the other. And what I loved about email was it's a channel that's one-to-many in a way that feels very one-to-one. And I'll kind of expand on that right now. So with Facebook ads, for example, while they're very effective, don't get me wrong, you obviously need those to do email marketing well. When you run an ad on Facebook, someone sees on their feed a post from their mom, their dad, their boyfriend, their coworker. They have all these other distractions on their screen, and then they see the ad. You know, the ads obviously are visible in some places and also invisible in other places where people just pass through them and they don't see them. Whereas with email, obviously there's a lot of emails in the inbox. But if I can get someone to open the email, it's just me and them. So say I get you to open my email, it's just me and you. You don't have ads or a bunch of other posts on that same screen in that same window. So I can get you to open it. I have your attention for one second, for 30 seconds, for a minute. So it's really kind of this intimate channel where you can move people to take action in a way that's very relevant and personal. So long-winded, after college, I went to go work at an ed tech platform where I built a platform that connected students on college campuses with others in their classroom that they did or didn't know. And email was a massive acquisition channel as well as a massive retention channel. So we found a bunch of college email addresses and we were sending highly personalized cold emails at scale, inviting people to join this platform. It's almost a social network around college where people could meet others and share documents, study guides, quizzes, you know, notes, those types of things. And then from there, I went to go build an email travel series where it was much like the hustle, the skim and morning brew. It was an editorial newsletter that inspired people to discover the world straight from their inbox. And again, right there, email was a huge acquisition channel. We found people that were interested in travel off platforms like Instagram, and we were sending highly personalized emails, getting 40, 50, 60% open rates, 10, 15% click-throughs on cold emails, getting people to enter giveaways and getting people to join our Facebook group getting people to opt in on the landing page. So, you know, email and kind of cold email and audience development and community building has really been like in my DNA since I was 13 doing that Chrome stuff. Something I did in college, something I did post-college. And that kind of led me to what I do today. So about three and a half, four years ago, my now business partner, one of my good friends, Nick Shackelford, he got me into e-commerce. So I took the skill set that I had of building audience and using email and building community and brought that over to doing e-commerce email marketing. And as you mentioned before, you know, we've sent over a billion emails for our clients over the past three and a half years, and we've done over $75 million in email revenue alone. So that's kind of you know, the background and kind of where we're at today. All right. So it, it started a while back and uh, kind of uh, you went towards it uh, to, to some extent. And while I was doing kind of a research and checking your, your, your background and, and so on, I've seen a bunch of different positions in companies, and um, in some cases, you, you, you've just been a part. In, in other cases, you actually been a co-founder of those businesses. So, overall, from you know your entrepreneurial experience, I don't know, like how many uh, companies you have had, or like for how long you've been like been doing business, and and you've been in the like entrepreneurial journey as your own. Yeah, so my first like technical like real job out of college, like my first you know big boy job was about six, six and maybe six and a half, seven years ago. That was when I worked at a company. So I worked at a company. After about a year, I started getting like this entrepreneurial bug and itch where it's like, man, I got to do something. 
So a couple of buddies and I tried starting an agency and we realized, great, we have these great jobs, but we don't really have a lot of tangible experience outside of that. So we needed like some epic case study and no one wanted to work with us. So we ended up buying this dating site. It was called Bernie Singles for people that wanted to support the presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders. And that obviously doesn't disclose any of our political views. You know, we didn't care one way or another, but we bought this dating site and this dating site ended up going viral. We ended up getting millions and millions of hits to the website in the first couple of months. We were on all the press, you know, outlets, all the magazines, we were on all the TV shows, like even like the talk shows, like Ellen DeGeneres, Stephen Colbert, like it was on there. There was obviously a lot of issues with that site, but that gave us a really great case study of being able to drive massive amounts of traffic through PR and through Facebook groups. And from there, so I started the agency. The agency ended up being, you know, moderately successful. We ended up building an Instagram automation tool that helped musicians promote their music. So all in all, between like businesses that have done well, businesses that have done okay, and businesses that have failed, I've probably started between like five to seven businesses now, you know, myself. Some, right, I sold for $10,000, some I sold for $100,000, and some, you know, are going to be in the process of selling for, for seven and, and eight figures, right? So, and a lot of them, I lost a lot of money on. So I've, I've really rode like the highs and the lows between those five to seven businesses of some decent wins and, you know, some big losses. And which one of those, let's say, been the most fun one, the, the most challenging one, and the most rewarding one? Yeah, I think that the current agency right now has been the most like fun and rewarding. Like we now are about a team of about 70 people. We have about 150 clients that we work with. You know, we'll do mid to high seven figures in revenue this year for the agency. And the goal is ultimately to sell the business in the next probably two to four, maybe three to five years. So I think this has been like the biggest and the best and kind of the most rewarding. One of the most challenging was I started a CBD business. So a CBD business for dogs. Yeah. That one had a lot of potential out the gates. We got a lot of press. We got, had a great branding. We had a beautiful website. But CBD was challenging both because we as partners made it challenging. It was myself plus like five other people. So there's just way too many cooks in the kitchen. Everyone wanted to be like the idea guy or the idea girl. No one actually wanted to get their hands dirty. So that's kind of challenging. And then you're already facing a lot of challenges with CBD inherently through not being able to easily advertise on Facebook and Instagram. So that was probably one of like the biggest opportunities that ended up being probably our biggest failure. I think that thing could have had a lot of longevity. We were, we were early and we had a really good niche. So I think those are kind of some of the ones. The agency, I think has been the best one and the one that's been the most rewarding because now we have 70 people that work for us and you know they have families and our clients right that we're able to support, especially through the past few years that have been, you know, challenging for some and, you know, good for others. I'd say those were the ones. All right. I just wanted, you know, to ask this question just because um, a lot of people don't really think much about it. You know, you do one one after another and so on, but businesses can be very different and experiences can be very different. And you can take quite a lot, even like within like one or two years. And uh, it can really change your perspective and even behavior and actually how you will do the next one, which might be, you know, 2x or 3x, you know, the growth that you were like struggling previously with with the other one. But it, it was just because of the previous business in a way. So it's, it's I always uh, find it really fascinating for the people who've been trying a couple of those and then you kind of find your own way and then like, what's the next gig for them in a way? Yeah, on that note, like, this current agency is like my third or fourth agency. So I, ha- I had one agency. I think, you know, that was our first year out of college. We were able to get that to like $30,000 a month in revenue. We couldn't get past $30,000 a month. Though. Like that was our ceiling. And then the next agency that we had, we got to like 
70,000 a month. And we just could not get past the 70,000 a month. And then the third agency we had, we were able to get to like 90 or 100,000 a month. We just couldn't get past that. And now with this new business, you know, without giving specific numbers, we're doing, you know, mid to high six figures like a month in revenue, right? And I think there's like no ceiling. And I think the biggest learning there was a couple of things. One was with the first two or so agencies, we did everything. We offered anything and everything within marketing. We didn't just focus on email or one specific offering. We did SEO, we did influencers, we did that, this, that, and the other. If you wanted us to pay us to do something and you asked us to do something, we would find a way to do it. Were we the best at all those things? No. Were we decent? Yes, right? And I think the biggest learning with like agency three and four was really focusing on one specific offering. So for me, it's been email has been at the core of everything I've done for the last six, seven years. And even even longer with like the stuff I was doing for the nonprofit, that was 10, 12 years ago. So that was what we focused on. And by branding ourselves as that and only offering a specific thing, all of our SOPs, all of our documentation, everything that we did and talked about and breathed was email. So it was way easier to scale that one thing than it was to scale everything, right? Because when you scale everything, you need all these different types of people and you can't hire well and you don't know who's going to want what. So I think that was a big learning. I think second was finding the right team and the right partners. You know, I ended up partnering on my first agency, second agency, just with people that I was friends with. Not that people necessarily deserved it or were interested in it. We just were like, hey, we're kind of bored at our full-time jobs. Let's, let's just start something. And it wasn't really the right team. So I think now having the right partners and having the right team and really letting the people you know, that we hire to lead and do their thing has been huge. I think those are some of the, the big learnings and kind of the, the ceilings on the other ones. I don't feel like the ceilings I have now because of the team the focus and really kind of being at the right place at the right time. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree on that. Uh, I guess this is something that we are discovering ourselves uh, step by step, even though like uh, we, we had uh, now I'm, I'm having like a third consultant uh, who had, um, we had like a previous two, we weren't like really in, in, in this industry. There was like more, the, they had three to four agencies themselves, but more like uh, around like SEO services. So they're aware of the agency life and so on. They have sold, they have failed some of the agencies and so on. And, and now they're doing like a new businesses and like pretty much both of them, even like when we just started the, the agency, both of them said that the same thing. It's like, like if you want to scale or, or grow the business, you have to do something like one thing really good. And it should be like uh, replicatable and as well, like we'll have like a very specific packages because this is how you can sell and because it's, it's pretty structured, like, uh, and then you can work with numbers and, and, and the processes and so on. Because if there's like more and more complexity in place, uh, as uh, you know, what, what we are seeing are ourselves and you you just like starting to simplify things and just uh, focus on what, what you're good at in, in a way. And then just leaving out some clients or some opportunities and just waiting for, for the next ones, which will be like a, more closer to what what you are looking for in a way. So just um, even though your advice, some after some time, it's just you need to go through you know your own ways and and challenges and and failures to actually feel feel the pain and actually just change accordingly. So yeah, definitely can relate to that. And I've heard from other consultants that they had the same exact learnings as you were yeah, saying. Yeah, and what you're describing, you know, we we don't really call ourselves this or look at ourselves like this, but it's really a productized service, right? It's taking a service and really making sure that you understand both the inputs and the outputs. So a client comes in, they have an e-commerce brand, and they want you to do email. 
well, great. What does that look like, right? How do you approach, you know, their campaigns? How do you approach their flows? How do you think about segments, right? And really making sure that you as the expert document all those things and record all those things, whether it's a Loom video or just you writing a document of like, step one, do this, step two, do that. So that way everyone on your team has the same context and can follow the same process and procedure. So that way you guys can get repeatable results and it kind of just is this rinse and repeat. You know, some e-commerce brands, you know, are kind of anomalies to this, but you know, 90% of the brands that we work with, it's more or less the same formula, right? You know, it's do enough campaigns per week, making sure that you have enough touch points on all the email automations or flows, making sure that you're hitting the right segments to make sure that you're getting the right open rates and the right click-through rates. So that way your deliverability is going to be solid. Like it really, email isn't complex by any means, but it's doing the right things at the right time, right? For the right person. Like that's like the holy grail of marketing. And that's really true in email. Yeah, exactly. So talking about the, the email, from your perspective and experience, how do you see like email in general, like email as a, as a marketing channel, as a, like different softwares and, and so on? How do you see it changed over the years, like over like, um, I don't know, six, five years? And um, from what it was to what it is uh, today and what maybe you see it like going towards like to the future? Yeah, I think the biggest change that from when I first started in email to now was back then you used to be able to just send batch and blast this to anyone. You could just hit your whole list and you'd be fine. And there wasn't really any penalties per se. Whereas I think over the past couple of years, and especially now, you have to send emails to people that are highly engaged, right? These are people that are opening your emails. These are people that are clicking your emails. These are people that are buying from you. These are people that are active on your website, right? So today, the script kind of the script has completely flipped where before, you could send it to anyone and everyone, and you probably would be okay, at least for a while. Today, you have to really send to your engage list or you're going to get yourself into trouble, right? So focusing on people that want to hear by you and hear from you based on the action that they take, that is so important. So I think that is the single biggest thing that's changed. And I think that's gotten people in a lot of trouble. The folks that haven't you know, kept up with the times and have done email today like they were five or six years ago, they're just batching and blasting. I think that's probably the biggest issue. To add, I guess the second part of that question, I, now that I remembered, is like, where is it going? I think the future of where it's going is going to revolve around what's called AMP. And it stands for Accelerated Mobile Pages. And much like a website or a landing page, you know, you can do a product carousel or you can do an accordion. You can do kind of all these engaging, interactive elements on a website that aren't necessarily as relevant or kind of popular in email. That technology is here. You know, there are some barriers to entry. You need to be somewhat technical. You have to be approved and whitelisted in some of these certain things. And I think that's why it's a little bit of a complex process that no one really is doing well. And at least I haven't seen any emails like that. But I think that's the future, right? Where you can make your emails behave much like your website, where people could do like a one click to buy within an email. People can scroll between a you know, product or a collection within the email. They can fill out surveys directly within the email. So I think the, the way that we're moving is the ability for email to become a channel where you can complete and transact and do everything that you can on the website. And that saves people having to click through and take all these extra steps and have friction. Okay. From your perspective or like from your everyday work, email marketing, what do you think is, what are the, the challenges that you usually face or your, your clients usually face with the, within like email marketing in general? I guess really to quickly touch on like our our kind of challenges as an agency is just hiring, right? Hiring good people that know what they're doing is a challenge. And we could talk about that more more later. But on the on the client side, when people come to us, you know, they're typically 
doing some things wrong, a decent amount of things wrong, or a lot of things wrong, right? There's obviously different buckets. Some people come to us and they've never sent an email. Some people come to us and they're trying their best, but they just can't figure out what to do. I think some common issues. So again, the first is I'm going to go back to what I said before is they're just batching and blasting. There's no segmentation on their list. So that's an easy one for us to come in, clean up and fix. Hitting people that are, you know, VIPs, hitting people that have opened over the last, you know, X number of days, weeks or months, hitting up people that have started checkout, added to cart, went through the flow and the automation of the abandoned cart, abandoned checkout, but never bought, you know, all these different types of things, people that are new to our list. So making sure that we're sending campaigns to the right segment. You, know, you almost pick the segment first and then you hit the campaign based off the segment because the content for each segment is going to vary. Right? So if someone's a VIP, they care less about discounts and offers and they care more about like exclusivity and limited quantity. Right? They want to be treated with respect. They want to be given the first heads up. They want to just be like an insider. Whereas with people that are on your list that have been on your list for a while but never bought, those are the people that you want to incentivize via offers or discounts. Right? That's probably going to move the needle for those people. So understanding which segment and how that ties into the campaigns are super important. I think most people, number two, don't set enough campaigns per week. You know, we're both, we kind of, as marketers, fall in this tricky line of like, at our day job, we're a marketer, but at night, we're consumers, right? And as a consumer, we don't want to receive three, four, five emails a week from a brand. So we kind of meddle that and get confused when we go back into wearing our marketer hat of like, oh man, I don't want to receive three to five emails. So I'm not going to send three to five emails. So they're only sending like one email a week, maybe two emails a week. And again, going back to segmentation, you can send three to five campaigns a week, but not necessarily have to hit one person three to five times. That one person might only get one, two, three emails. So I think sending enough campaigns per week is really important. And you just start with one. Look at the things like the open rates, the click-throughs, the, you know, the conversion. If all those things look good, and also look at things like the negative things, the mark to spam, the balance unsubscribe. If all those look good, right, send a second email. Send a third email. Send a fourth email. Maybe that fourth email is where there's friction. The open rates decrease, the click-through decreases, the conversion decreases, you know, the mark to spam, the balance, the unsubscribe all increase. Then you know for your brand that maybe the equilibrium on average should be about three campaigns per week. You want to maximize your revenue, but you want to minimize the churn. So that's kind of how we think about that. And then on the automation side, most people just either set it and forget it or don't have enough automation set up, right? They set up a flow two years ago and they haven't thought about it or looked at it since, right? They're like, Oh, I thought I was just supposed to do it once and I didn't think I had to think about it again, right? And that's very much the wrong approach. You have to be A-B testing things. You have to be updating the creative. You have to be updating the offers. You have to be adding additional emails. You have to be adding new flows. So I think those are like kind of the big three things. Again, it's the, the segmentation or really the lack there of segmentation. It's the campaigns not sending enough and the automations allowing those to get stale by not constantly updating them on a monthly or quarterly basis. Yeah, I, I would agree on that definitely. Especially even some examples to say if, if uh, businesses have uh, set up the flows and those are bringing the money, but uh, they never actually considered if they would change something or A/B test that it actually could bring even more money. And if yeah, even like A/B testing in, in inside of the flows or even like A/B testing like a more visual type of email versus like a text email or so, like uh, not only like just the headlines or so, which which not everyone did it as well, but um, even like in, in the emails, uh, different type of messaging or like uh, more visual, less visual and, and, and so on. And especially as, as uh, it's it's always uh, kind of um, you're trying to advise or like you, you have to have a proper discussion with the client and definitely that uh, common common issue that the clients are always thinking, you know, 
our brand might suffer if, if we'll just start sending more emails and people will get pissed because we're sending so many like emails and they will like think that we're spamming as one. And as you said, definitely if like a, a good method that, that you just explained, very simple one of like just start sending and, and like tracking the, the data and, and just look at, like observe it and then make some kind of a decisions. Like, it's like as a marketer, it's always like relatively simple. It's like, you make some kind of action, you test it, and then you kind of make the next one instead of just overthinking, just go one step at a time. Even like uh, people sometimes don't consider, I guess, that if you send even those free campaigns, not all the people will open up all those free emails because they won't see one or, one or like or two emails and then they will just notice like uh, if you're sending five emails, they will just notice, I don't know, two, like two to three emails out of five. And it's like, that's why as, as, as well, they won't feel it because that, that you're spamming or so. And some engaged audience, they've, if you have good content and so on as a brand and you have what to say and so on. So people actually even might enjoy it because they will see it as a, you know, as a blog post or so that they will, it, it's not always, I guess, about the sales, it's about, you know, the content, educating, providing some value and so on. And people just don't really get it that those five emails are not only just pushing the, the sales or discounts or whatever. This is definitely what we see, but uh, as from your experience, I guess, is um, that's um, some of the bigger challenges as well, because people are thinking what type of results you will bring. But if you cannot really send enough emails or so as well, like the, the revenues are not really coming in and then the clients could be concerned. But on that note, uh, what you just said, are these pretty much are the main issues or like challenges that you face and why clients usually don't reach a certain threshold that they would be satisfied with a number of uh, like a percentage or like the revenues that would be coming from emails or there usually are some other problems that why let's say early six-figure businesses aren't really generating enough money from emails is it just like the, the process that they're not really following or like if they're following the process or like something else that they're not really getting enough money from the emails that they might be expecting or like one thing? Yeah, I think the the main issues boil down to the segmentation, not setting enough campaigns and not having you know enough flows and, and basically making sure that those are optimized. Outside that, I think it might just be traffic issue potentially. It might be a quality of traffic. It might be people actually opting into their list, right? So maybe they don't have like a good sign up form on their website and they're not collecting traffic. Or maybe, you know, they have one, but it's not great. So I think that could be another one, right? It's like maybe part of their list is just customers, right? And they need to start collecting people that aren't customers as well. So that way they can, you know, nurture and engage them and ultimately convert them. So I think the sign-up forms and collecting the traffic and making sure that it's the right traffic, right? The high quality people that are, you know, wanting to purchase. Um, I think that the traffic by source is important, right? You know, a lot of times SEO traffic is really strong. Facebook traffic is really strong. Instagram traffic is really strong. Other platforms could or cannot be strong, right? So I think it's the quality of the traffic and the ability to turn that traffic into an email address is probably the other issues outside the ones we mentioned. And how do you you really um, overcome these challenges with a client? For example, you as a service provider, something that that you talk with a client, something that you know you talk with their partners uh, if they're doing, you know, they're responsible for traffic or so because. This is can be a complex issue. Just, just curious, what's uh, what work for you to solve it? Yeah, on like the the segments, the campaigns, the flows, the forms, like 
those are things that we all, we take on as aids and agency. We're done for you. We own the email channel. So mm. that part, I wouldn't say it's easy to do, but it's it's straightforward to do. In fact, it's a, it's it's on us, and it's just a matter of executing it right. And we just have to be transparent with the client that this isn't going to happen overnight. Like this is going to take us a couple weeks and a couple months to get things rolled out, and it's going to be like an ongoing kind of iterative process. But on the the traffic side, right? Like most of the brands that we work with are doing minimum seven figures and a lot are like eight figure brands and we have some nine figure brands. So for them, like they typically have tens of thousands of subscribers, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions. And they have a lot of different traffic sources because they have the money to spend. Right. So for Mm -hmm. us personally, it's not really an issue just because of the size of the brands that we work with. And for them to get to seven, eight, nine figures, like they have to be able to get the right quality traffic. They have to understand their channels. They have to do a lot of these things for smaller brands. Yeah. I would imagine that if it's an email agency coming in, like, and the, the leads suck, and you can prove that the leads suck because you're doing all the right things on the email side, and they're just not converting. Then you maybe you have to have a conversation with the, the company or the agency or whoever is running the traffic to figure out like what's the source. Is it you know are we on Facebook? Are we Instagram? Are we somewhere else? You know what's the targeting? Like are we targeting the right people? And what does that look like? If we have a, a company which is uh, you know our like a seven figure e commerce store. We have some flows, uh, maybe like sending some regular newsletters once or twice a week or so. What's usually your, your process or what do you usually see that you need to do? As you said, there is kind of a, in most of the cases, there is kind of a repeatable process that you see with the clients that you work. So they can get actually, let's say if, if they're just now getting 10% maybe from emails or so, and uh, they would love getting like 20, 25, even maybe like 30%. What's usually the, I don't know, repeatable process or things that you try to focus on within upcoming months or so, so you would go towards it and potentially hit that number uh, for the client? Yeah, I mean, everything before we start working with a client, it starts with an audit, right? Before we sign them, and while we're kind of in the whole sales process, prospecting phase, we're just doing an account audit. We're looking at their account, Great, you're at 10%. You know, you're doing X, Y, and Z well, you're doing A, B, and C poorly, and you're not doing these other three things at all, right? So we immediately know, great, we need to go in and optimize the things that they're doing poorly, and we need to go add and implement the things that they're not doing at all. And without even looking at someone's account with a pretty decent accuracy, I could tell you just based on how much revenue you tell me you have, what you're doing or what you're not doing. So there's different benchmarks I think about, like zero to 10, 10 to 20. 20 to 30 and 30% or more. And that's all percentages of revenue coming from email. So at zero to 10%, again, you know, it's very similar to what we talked about before. They probably don't have a sign-up form at all, or they don't have a sign-up form that's converting at least eight to 10% of visitors into emails. Right. So we go in, we build a sign-up form if they don't have one, or if they do have one and they're getting two percent, four percent, we'll try to figure out how do we two or three X that, right? How do we run A B test? Is it the offer? You know, is it the time delay? What does that look like, right? We'll optimize that. The other one is the number of campaigns, right? They're probably not sending enough campaigns. You know, the other one is flows. They probably don't have that many flows. They probably are missing a lot of the advanced flows, probably missing even a lot of the core flows, right? So we'll build out some of the core flows. And then from, you know, zero to 10 and then going from 10 to 20, you know, they probably still have the ability to optimize the sign up form, right? Maybe it's doing a little bit better, but it still could be doing more. Maybe they have some of the very few kind of core flows in place, but they're missing some advanced flows. So we're kind of going to keep adding some of the core flows, start thinking about the advanced ones. 
and still the ability to send more campaigns. Like it, it really is just those are really the three things that move the needle is those three things. And then, you know, the next stage is it's more campaigns, more segmentation, more flows, more emails within flows, more advanced flows. It, it really, I don't want to say it's that simple, but like that's simply the progress and process is like just looking at campaigns, looking at the segmentation, looking at the automations and looking at the ability to collect emails. Like there's really not much more to it than that, right? The only thing that's missing outside of that is like, what does your copy look like? What does your design look like? Those types of things. And uh, if if that kind of, a, as, as you're saying, it's kind of a sounds simple, but it's not always that simple. And for for an e-commerce owner, if if they're uh, let's say looking for an agency or like looking for a person that they could um, hire as a, as an in-house uh, email marketer, what do you say from your perspective uh, for those who are like still considering which way to go? What are the pros and cons uh, of having in-house email marketer or like the the team? Because there are like a, a few things that you would need to cover while doing an email marketing versus an agency like yours, what would you say are usually the pros and cons that those are considering they should think about? Yeah, yeah the way that I think about it is in business revenue by stage. So like, let's say zero to $100,000 in revenue, 100 to 500,000, 500,000 to 5 million, and 5 million and beyond. So I'd say like zero to 100,000 in revenue, you have to find a way to do it yourself as a founder, you know, as a partner with some employee that you have, like you don't have a lot of budget you know, you're not going to be able to hire anyone well. Anyone good is not going to be able to take on someone doing $100,000 or less. And I don't mean to be mean. It's just, you know, a lot of people that are really good at this stuff are charging thousands of dollars a month. And it doesn't make sense for someone to spend thousands of dollars a month early on in their business on email marketing, where they should be spending that on product and advertising and influencers and content, right? So I think zero to 100000 you have to find a way to do it internally, you know, however that gets done. Something is better than nothing. You know, hundred thousand to five hundred thousand. Again, like I would, I would still do as much as you can in house if you have a decent process and you have got something going. Or I would look to find like a part time freelancer, someone that can just help with a couple hours a week that you maybe just pay hourly, right? Maybe you pay them fifty bucks an hour, hundred bucks an hour, but they're really good, they're really efficient. They'll just get some stuff set up. And then between the five hundred thousand to five million, that's where it kind of gets a little bit, you know, interesting and kind of tricky. It's like there's a lot of routes you could take it if you are doing it internally and it's going well. You know, and you want to keep doing that and you enjoy it and you're good at it, keep doing it. If you have a freelancer that you like, that you were paying part-time, you know, to do it for you guys in minimal hours in the hundred thousand, five hundred thousand phase, and they have more availability and they're a good fit, you know, ramp ramp them up to getting more of their time. Or, you know, start looking at an agency like mine and any of the others. For us, you know, we don't work with any brands doing less than a million. It doesn't make sense for the brand for our fee structure, and it doesn't make sense for us as an agency. So I think as a brand starts doing a million dollars and over, that starts gets interesting for us as a good fit, for them as a good fit. And what I would say from there, right, is like, if you have an internal, keep it internal. But as you get to seven figures and eight figures, bring in an outside consultant, find someone like myself or someone else that's really good at what they do and just pay them you know, a couple thousand dollars a month for a couple hours of their time to just teach your team and train your team and poke at the holes, right? So I think there's different stages where agencies make sense, where freelancers make sense, where it makes sense to do in-house, where consultants make sense. So that's typically like the framework of how I think about it and how I tell brands. I push a lot of brands away from us that aren't the right fit because of the size. I tell them, go do it in-house or go find this freelancer. Or, you know, Don't pay us to do it you know, for you full-time. You know, pay us to do it as a consultant as you guys scale a little bit more. So those are, those are the ways I think about it. Okay. 
But uh, for example, you you as an agency, as I said, there might be like different roles, and some people are not aware that uh, there there should be different professionals in a team doing just email marketing, even though it's like just a, a newsletter, and it sounds like and it looks very simple. But it, it might do there there like on that one newsletter, there was like three or four people actually worked to some extent. So. You as an agency, when you know you're you're fully set up around like email marketing and so on. So, what people usually are are working around, let's say just one, even like one client, like a I don't know mid-size uh, seven figures e-commerce store. What do you say? What type of people there should be in a team if you would have like an in-house if they would need to have someone in-house to do it properly? Yeah, and, and that's kind of like why you know depending on the stage, like working with an agency depending on the price, makes sense is because on every account that we provide um, to our clients, there's five people. There's a marketer, a designer, a copywriter, an account manager, and a developer, right? So if you were to think about all those people in terms, so we charge just transparently, we charge 6,000 to 8,000 USD a month, right? And if you think about just the cost of like one of those people, if you have a good marketer in-house, like they're probably going to be pretty similarly priced, right? 6,000 a month, I think is $72,000 a year. So, you know, for someone that's good marketer, that's experienced, like we have, like, you probably could be paying someone fifty-five dollars to $75,000 just for that one role, right? And then if you bring in a designer and a copywriter and account manager and developer, you're probably looking at, like, I would guess maybe like fifteen dollars to $20,000 a month in salaries for those people, right? And then there's healthcare and all these other things. So I think that's one of the pros and the arguments for working with someone like us. On the flip side, right? You know, we have a lot of other clients, right? So the, the brand that we work with isn't our only priority, although we do really go above and beyond and we do a great job for them. Having that internal team that's more expensive, like those five people are going to be focused specifically on that one brand. Um, so if there's enough work for them to do, great. That's the other thing, right? Like with a seven, eight figure brand, like I don't know that it, five full-time people in-house could actually have enough work to do, right? Like it probably will realistically take I don't know, maybe 10 to 20 hours a week to do like a really good, robust email program, you know, for, for a brand. And then I guess the only thing that changes actually when you're internal is you probably don't need an account manager. You probably want the marketer to be a little bit more of a project manager as well. But you would need, you know, in a lot of ways, the designer, developer, the copywriter as well. So you would need four of the five people. And a lot of those roles, like good designers, good copywriters, good developers, like they're not cheap either. So, so again, there's pros and cons, you know, I think there are a lot of benefits to having an in-house internal team. I think there's also a lot of benefits to having, you know, an agency like ours that gets to work with, you know, I think we're working with 75 brands on the email side, 25 brands on SMS, working with like 30 brands on paid social because we have different divisions as part of the company. We've been doing some mergers and acquisitions. So we, we end up having access to about 150 accounts where we get to see what's working on a micro macro level. So depending on the brand, you might lean one way or another. In your case, um, as uh, you've been doing that for quite a while, so what type of, uh, of activities uh, would bring the most value from the email marketing that might bring you know the, the, the biggest benefits, let's say, right now, which could be you know revenue-wise? And I think it, we won't go far away from what we have discussed in Swan, yeah. but uh, you know, just to add up a little bit of a and as well, like uh, when you think a little bit of ahead, maybe some of the things that you might do today, but you're considering a little bit, you know, that some of the benefits will will come in the future. So you maybe invest your time or resources uh, for today, but uh, the benefits might come, I don't know, like in weeks, months or so. So it, we would touch on some some other subjects apart from 
what we have discussed. So some of the biggest, you know, value bringing activities for today that you do um, that people would would benefit from from the email marketing and for the future. And to clarify, is this for our clients or is this as like an agency in terms of like... More like, yeah, yeah, as as, uh, for an e-commerce, so for your clients. What type of activities in email marketing would bring the biggest uh, value and maybe what you would do for some clients today, but the benefits might come in the future. This could be done by the in-house team or so, but yeah, what you would consider... Yeah, dude, like I don't want to keep harping on the, the same things, but like that really is like email. So I guess the only thing mm. different, but like, you know, we've said this to some degree, is like really focusing on having like strict segmentation. By having strict segmentation, you know, in the short term, sure, maybe you're not hitting as many people as you otherwise would, but you're really setting up your business in the right foundation to have strong deliverability in the future. And if you don't have strong deliverability, which basically means your ability to hopefully hit the inbox or at the very least the promotions and hopefully not be in the spam then you don't have the longevity of a business channel for email. So I think just focusing on really being thoughtful and kind of specific in your segmentation, that's so important, right? I think a lot of clients get upset because they're like, well, we have 100,000 people on our list. Why aren't we hitting all 100,000 people? We pay to get them. It's like, well, you know, all 100,000 people, you've collected those people over five years. Some of these people have never bought from you. Some of these people have never opened your email. Some of these people have never done anything. They're actually doing you more harm than good. We just need to exclude them from campaigns. Let's send to the 50,000 or the 60,000 people that are actually good. That's going to bring us actually just as many, if not more, opens. That's going to bring us just as many, if not more, clicks. That's going to bring us just as many, if not more, you know, conversions and placed orders. And that's going to allow us to do what we're doing today, doing it tomorrow, doing it in three months, in six months, in a year. I think that's the only other new thing I would add. And that's like the importance of segmentation is making sure that your account is really healthy from like a deliverability standpoint. And um, on, on that note, and as we were discussing that, uh, you know, there is a certain amount of newsletters, testing flows, and, and so on. What would you say for an e-commerce? How they should structure, or like what they should, what type of a content they should consider sending? Meaning, apart from just sales and promotion, how you usually like structuring if you send more campaigns per week, let's say if we are talking between at least like three or even more campaigns per week, what type of other uh, like content you would be sending so the customers would benefit and you would say that, you know, it's not going to spam, people might enjoy it or so. Yeah, some of the campaign topics that come to mind, right? So again, we have like the holidays, you got the sales, the product launches, the collection launches, any kind of like social proof, any kind of referral campaigns. Any kind of education, you know, blog posts, current events, uh, any kind of celebrity or kind of like influencer endorsements, any kind of like press mention. So there's like a bunch of different their companies playlist. Here's who, what our team thinks about these new things. So like, there's so many different types of campaign buckets. Like those are some of the main ones, though. Okay, I didn't have in my list of questions, but uh, I've been seeing like in um, email marketing, let's say area, uh, people start talking about kind of a multi-channel approach as well. Not only like through main softwares or so, but they're like, maybe you should start considering as well sending some of the messages through SMSs, which you have mentioned that you have some clients. I know that some of the people are considering as well, like uh, Messenger or like WhatsApp or like, uh, or even like uh, just a regular mail part of the strategy of like a, an old fashioned one. What would you, you know, say from from that perspective? Maybe you do some of it as well, and how it like interconnects and uh, 
at the same time, how it is similar or how it is different from just regular email marketing of what we were just talking of newsletters and flows. But yeah, what about SMSs, Messenger, WhatsApp, even like a old-fashioned email or so? Yeah, we, we personally haven't done any direct mail, but from my understanding, direct mail for some brands is actually pretty you know, successful and pretty profitable. That being said, I think pretty recently with some of like the shortage of supplies, whether like it's lumber or paper or this, that, or the other, uh, the cost to actually do direct mail has increased, which makes the ability to scale the channel and have as many profits obviously decrease. So I think, I don't know, six months, 12 months, maybe a year and a half ago, I had a lot of buddies that were testing direct mail and they were having you know, decent to a lot of success. But now it's not been as successful just because of the cost of everything has been you know, skyrocketing and kind of expensive. Makes sense. That's yeah. direct mail. We personally haven't done a lot of like Messenger or WhatsApp. I know Messenger really had like its moment. I felt like a couple of years ago, like it was like all the talk, many chat was super big. I'm sure they are just as big and popular today. It's not really something that we've really dabbled or kind of tested. SMS is really kind of where we're focused outside of email. You know, we brought in like an SMS specialist to run SMS for our team. We're building that team out, got about 25 clients. And SMS has been a really great channel in tandem with email. We just get additional ways to you know, reach customers. And it's really a channel that we're doing for kind of some of our VIPs and best customers, the people that want that first dibs and people that want that first look and people that want those texts from like the founders or the community people and want to engage like in a two-way dialogue. So I think having some of the conversations around SMS like with customers has been big, especially at cart or kind of abandoned checking out where they have questions about sizing or fit or shipping or returns. So SMS has been a channel that has really surprised us. It's one that you know, we were kind of slow to roll out, one that we didn't really want to roll out, but one that we kind of got forced to roll out from our clients and in hindsight are glad that we did. So I think there's a lot of opportunity on SMS as both an agency service provider to offer it and do it well. I think there's a lot of opportunity on SMS for brands to really build community and kind of communication and relationship with that subscriber, that kind of person on your list. All right. We covered quite a bit the newsletters. I, I think it's, uh, for, for me, uh, I think it's everything is, is pretty clear and you just have to start doing a test and so on. And uh, there are like some some regular flows, which I think a lot of people know about it as, 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 as well. I think there's what it is like around like five different, you know, flows. I guess abandoned cart, win back, and some other ones. You can mention those uh, briefly because uh, I know that's uh, definitely that that you know and always will will firstly focus. But uh, what would you say? If, you know, once you build uh, those uh, the critical ones, what type of other flows you start adding that not all the people might consider, but would give a very nice addition of like revenues and would add up those extra percentages that you could be coming from emails? There's different priorities and there's different tiers. Like I think the, the first wave of ones you have to set up is the welcome series for non-buyers, the abandoned checkout, and some basic post-purchase. Right? Like those are the first three. And then I would add like a browse abandonment, an abandoned cart, customer win back, a back in stock, you know, an upsell, cross sell, a breakup series, right? Like those were kind of like the, the ones that I would focus on first. And that's like, yeah, there's like eight or 10 of those core ones, right? So you're going to have your work cut out for you because eight or 10 flows doesn't mean eight or 10 emails. Each one has anywhere from you know, one to four emails. So that could be 20, 30 emails that you have to go create. So those are the ones that I would focus on first. All right. For you as, a, as, a, as an agency owner, 
You've been building this, as you said, for about three years so far. And that's what, what you said, like third or fourth agency that, that you're running. But so far for Boundless Labs, what were, I don't know, like the biggest challenges that you have faced and some of like the, the biggest wins that you would consider uh, with this company so far? Yeah, I think I alluded to this earlier, but the biggest challenge of any business agency brand right now is hiring, right? A lot of people, I think through the past year, year and a half, right, working from home have realized that like they can get new jobs and they can work for whoever, or they can freelance on the side or they can start their own business, right? Like, so I think, I don't want to say there's a talent shortage because that's definitely not the case, but finding the right people is challenging, right? Obviously being able to open up to the entire world and be remote first is, is helpful, but it's hard to find the right people that want to work at an agency because the good people have their own agencies. They're already at an agency. They have their own brand. They work at a brand or they're already freelance, right? Like the really good people gravitate to doing things that are kind of independent versus working, you know, for a new agency or a newer agency. So I think hiring is challenging, right? I think with rapid growth and rapid hiring and kind of balancing, you know, the inflow and outflow of account receivables and account payables, you know, making sure that you have enough money in the bank account as a float to be able to hire and sustain times when clients don't pay or clients don't pay on time or if you lose any clients, right? So I think, you know, really getting like the finance and accounting kind of the cash flow down is super key and critical. In terms of wins, like, you know, we get to work with some of like, the, in my opinion, some of like the coolest brands like in the world, like brands that I purchased from as a consumer before we started working with them, brands that I followed growing up. So I think that's really cool. And then just getting to work with smart people and like the fact that we built this agency now to like 70 people and 150 clients, like that wasn't our goal. We never thought we were going to do that. We thought we were going to be small and it kind of just keep bringing good people and they keep pushing the vision and mission forward. So I think that's been rewarding just to see us go from, you know, a team of like one or two to a team of 10 to a team of 20, right? And we've only been at it three years. I think in the next like six to 12 months, we'll probably be at 80, 90, 100 people, which is like, really cool, but also really insane and really scary. Yeah. But you said, as, as you've mentioned, you never planned kind of about being a very big team or so. So what kind of happened? Did, did, you know, some kind of a change within the agency or like collaboration or like something else that, that happened that gave you that opportunity to, to, to grow as we were, as you were like saying, you had previous agencies where you, couldn't go through like 30, 50 or 70K a month. And now you're you're doing like a mid six figures or so a month. I don't know, like what uh, change it was a kind of maybe a talent or like, was it like a sales thing or, or whatever that uh, accelerated and actually gave you this, this uh, opportunity to grow as an agency and to this size and continue even growing? Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot. I think first was like, we just never... We, we looked at agencies and we worked with agencies and we never liked some of the agencies that we worked with. We didn't like the business model, you know, it just felt like churn and burn. So we just wanted to be like the anti-agency, right? Like our thesis was we wanted to do everything the agencies weren't, which I think a lot of people start like that. I and mean, we just were like having fun as one or two people with us. And we just liked being close knit and knowing people and knowing clients and having really good intimate relationships. So we kind of more were just doing like a, I guess like freelance or kind of like a mini agency, if you'd call it. And we just thought that was like the most fun, coolest thing in the world. And we were like, we don't need employees. We don't need too many clients. So we'll just keep doing this for a long time. And then we're like, wow, like our clients actually like working with us. They're referring us business. You know, we can't take on more work, the two of us, that we need to start hiring. 
And then we're like, all right, we hired a few people. And then we started getting more leads. We're like, oh man, like we don't want to keep hiring. And then we, we started hiring. And it's like, once you start that process, there's no slowing down. You can't stop. If you stop, you die, right? You can't just say all of a sudden, we're going to stay at 70 people, 150 clients. We're, we're done. We're going to throw it in, right? You have to kind of keep growing. So like, you, you know, you either stay small and you stay really small. Or if you try to go into the middle ground and kind of see what that looks like and dip your toes in, you have to go big. You can't slow down. You can't stop. So the things that allowed us to, to scale, I think for myself and, and then Nick, Nick Shackelford, you know, we have cr- created really strong and good personal brands. Like we have really spent a lot of time creating content and doing podcasts like this and speaking at events and throwing our own events and really just being present in the community and really being a great resource for people for free. And, and also times, you know, sell courses or other things, but like our intention really is just to help and give our best shit away. That has really led us to having a lot of deal flow and not just client deal flow, but to some degree, like a lot of our best talent has come that way. It's not super sustainable where like, you know, you can't just expect all your talent to come from that me- mechanism. But a lot of our early talent and people that are still with us over the past two and a half, three, three and a half years have been from us, from finding us on social, right? And just building a relationship. So I think, you know, that's another one, you know, continually raising your prices so that way you can afford good people, that way you have enough margins, that way you can build cash flow. Those are some of the things that come to mind. And would you say that uh, for an e-commerce owners in, in general, that building a personal brand can be beneficial for like finding the talent? I guess it, it really depends on uh, attracting the customers. I bet uh, this can be very beneficial. And what I see as, as, as well, if you have like a front-facing person as like in a D2C brand can be extremely beneficial. But uh, on, on the other hand, as uh, from the personal brand perspective, if you just talk what's happening in, in your own brand, uh, that, that might be as a strategy as well for like finding right people, uh, would you say like from your own experience? I think a personal brand gives you leverage. I think it gives you the ability to raise capital. I think it gives you the ability to get clients. It gives you the ability to get customers. I think it gives you the ability to get talent. Uh, it gives you the ability to get help, right? Maybe you need to find a consultant or maybe you need someone to hop on a podcast or maybe you need someone to speak at an event. Like, I think a personal brand gives you leverage to accomplish you know, more things than you otherwise could have without one. That's really interesting. Uh, and, uh, and I think more and more people start uh, taking that more seriously. And then definitely I can agree on, on that. It's like even just presenting your own business, no matter if that's the agency or just uh, uh, some kind of other regular business, it just uh, helps not only like with a business, but as I said, one of the other biggest challenges like hiring people. And uh, if, if they just enjoy like following your agency or your business or you as individual, this, I guess, where the, the, the best talents would come in or they would recommend you for, for others that, that they know. So I think, uh, yeah, definitely. It's like a, a big thing that it's uh, been always, I think, but it's like more and more people are starting to look at that more seriously. Going towards, I guess, the end and what was interesting, I guess, what to, to sum up everything that we have talked today is just uh, as you said, it doesn't look that difficult, but once you do it, I guess it, it might get difficult, you know, as uh, doing the emails. But uh, as you were just uh, repeating time and time again about uh, the number of campaigns, flows and testing and testing, it isn't like a rocket science. It sounds like that. But I think it comes just because with the experience and uh, working with the different brands, I bet some time ago it, it wasn't as obvious for you. 
it's simple to me, but like I know it's not simple in general. It's simple to me because I've been doing this for six years, right? It's not simple to someone else that's starting, but it but it's yeah. not rocket science, right? So I think email is a really good and interesting route to venture into as a freelancer, as an agency, and as a brand that they should be doing it. Right. The last question, where people can find you or like uh, any other like additional information that you would like to share with the listeners, uh, those would be interesting following you or getting to know more about you. Yeah, I think Twitter is a great place. I share a lot of great content on Twitter, whether it's scaling your agency, doing e-commerce email marketing, this side or the other. So shoot me a follow on Twitter. My handle is ecom chase diamond. There's no A in diamond. So my last name is just D-I-M-O-N-D. So ecom chase diamond on Twitter is the best place. And dude, thank you so much for, for having me. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for taking the time and um, showing that the email isn't potentially as hard, but if you do it right, that can bring a lot of uh, benefits uh, for sure. And it's just as an example, as, as you build agency and the team, just an example that there's a huge need and you're able to supply the demand that you have in the market and you'll continue doing that for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks, dude. Appreciate you. Enjoying this podcast? Consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. This helps us to grow and create more amazing content like this for you.